Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. How's everybody doing this evening? Good word. Did you hear what God was encouraging us to do? Just to trust Him for the rest. Just trust Him for the rest. Just do our best. Be willing. Say yes. Give it your best and watch and see what he will do. You know, that almost sums up the life of the Apostle Paul, who we're going to be taking a look at this evening from Acts chapter 14. We are in a series in the book of Acts, and we've been uh, attempting to do one chapter every week. And even though we can't get to but a few verses in that chapter, we're just moving along because, uh, you know, there are... 26 of these chapters, so we kind of have to move along or we won't get very far. And so tonight we are in Acts chapter 14, and the title of our message tonight in our study is entitled, You Never Know, But We Always Know. You never know, we always know. Well, what in the world am I talking about, you know, uh, we'll see in just a moment. By the time we get to Acts chapter 14... The year is about A.D. 48, all right? You can hold that for some of you that like dates and times in history. I'll give you a little perspective in a moment, okay? About the year A.D. 48, you may remember from, from the last time that we uh, were in Acts chapter 13 that we talked a little bit about the church at Antioch and how the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 had sent Paul and Barnabas out on what we commonly call today Paul's first missionary journey. If you want to see where Paul went, you can Google Paul's first missionary journey. And most likely a little map will come up and it'll show you what he did, how that, how that the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13 says, the church in Antioch, they were praying and they were fasting, they were ministering to the Lord, they were seeking God, and the Holy Spirit said to them, separate Barnabas and Paul. Separate them for the work that I have called them to do. And then when they had fasted and prayed a little more, they laid their hands on them and they sent these two apostles out to accomplish the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to do. Paul and Barnabas got in a ship from Antioch. They went about 12 miles, hopped on a ship, most likely at the place called Seleucia. It's, uh, it's in Syria. There are two Antiochs, an Antioch in Syria and an Antioch Pisidia, which we will also talk about tonight uh, for just a little bit of history. And these two Antiochs, one of them is in Syria and one of them is in Turkey, okay? Two different Antiochs. And so they were sent out from the church in Antioch. They got on a ship. They sailed a short distance west to the island of Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas... Man, the first missionary journey, they were just set to preach the gospel. And when they got to Cyprus, they preached up a storm. And people were saved and people were healed. And it was marvelous. And they had great success. And then when they had gone the length of the island, they got on another ship and went north just a few miles. And they ended up in what today is Turkey. And they ended up just preaching around through Turkey. Well, some of the first places that they went to, the Bible tells us, is Iconium 
or Iconium, depends on whether you're a tomato or a tomato person, okay? And, uh, and they also went to a place called Lystra and Derby. okay? These were in the region of Eurasia. Uh, they were in, the, in, in, in this same region. And so they preached in a little circuit. They didn't have such good success. You can, uh, you can find out, you know, at, at that time as well, you can find out from reading Acts 13, 14, 15, 16. But at that time, around A.D. 48, there were a lot of Jews living in that part of the world, in what is now Turkey. Many of them went there for commercial reasons, for business reasons, but some of them also went there to escape the real intense um, religious confines of the religious Jews in Jerusalem. And some of the Jews were intermarrying with the Gentiles, which was against the Jewish law and frowned upon. But nonetheless, sometimes people would fall in love across cultural and even across religious boundaries, and they would marry. And this was more acceptable in Turkey than it was in Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Than it was in Israel. All right. Well, as you may remember... The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter had both had experiences in God saving Gentiles. And so before we get finished with Acts chapter 13 uh, from our last time together, uh, we find that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas decided that they were going to preach the gospel to Gentiles. You know, because they were just being run out of every city that they went to. And so... It kind of upset the Jewish leadership. And the Jewish leadership felt as though that they had authority over Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas were Jews. And in that day, if you were a Jew, then the Jewish leadership of the church had authority over you. And they could put you in prison and they could do numbers of other things. And so it really upset the Jews that Paul and Barnabas were preaching to both Jews and Gentiles in this city called Antioch of Pisidia. And the Bible says in the 13th chapter, as we're finishing the 13th chapter of Acts, verse 50, it says, but the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women. You just don't want to have no devout and prominent women stirred up against you, by the way. Okay? They couldn't get Paul and Barnabas to quit preaching to the Gentiles and follow the rule. And so they went out and stirred up a bunch of Jewish women, devout women. We're talking about praying women. You don't want to stir up a praying woman, okay? We're talking about somebody that was committed to what she was committed to. And prominent women, important women. And, and, and not only that, and some of the chief men of the city too. Of course they did because these married women were married to these chief men. You better know they were upset too. And they raised up persecution. Thank you, Jana, for, for uh, giving me a little support there. They raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. Now, they've been having great success seeing people healed and born again. But man, I tell you what, these people done got stirred up against them and expelled them from their region. Verse 51, so Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they came to Iconium, or Iconium. Then chapter 14 begins. Now it happened, you remember about A.D. 48, according to my timetable. There are a few timetables, but it's okay. Some people don't know what they're talking about. 
Um, <laughs> now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both Jews and Greeks, believed. Now Paul was the preacher here. And man, he was preaching up a storm. You can read a few more verses. And people were getting born again. People getting saved. Jews and Gentiles were both saying yes to Jesus Christ as Messiah. And, and, uh, you know, it, and it ends up that these people didn't like it any more than the people in Antioch. The people in Iconium didn't like it either. Verse 5. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas became aware of it, verse 6 says. And so they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia. And they were preaching the gospel there. They... They went to a region and that, that was small, had a few little cities in it. They weren't very far away, maybe even as much as three, or three miles or four miles away from one another. And one of the cities is Lystra, Derby, right here in uh, Lycaonia. Now, when they got there and began to preach Jesus in Lystra, there was a man that was healed. He had never walked before. And when he was healed... People began to turn out. They turned out. I mean, crowds came. It was such a public miracle. And with all these crowds coming, they, they, they were preaching and people were believing, both Jews and Gentiles. And, uh, you know, uh, they decided, the city decided that only a God can heal a man who's never walked before. And so they said, these men are gods. They've come down from heaven and, and they're healing us, you know. Barnabas, he's Zeus or Jupiter. He's the big guy. He's the head honcho. He's the head god. And Paul, he's the guy that's doing all the preaching. He's Hermes or Mercurius, whichever name you want to call him, whatever region you want to call him. He's the spokesperson for God. And they have come down here to heal and to, and to tell us the will of God. And so they went and they, they got some stuff out of the temple of, of, of Zeus and they brought it out. And, and the chief uh, you know, priest of Zeus was out here about to sacrifice and, 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 and you know, do all kinds of things to Paul and Barnabas were kneeling down and, and about to make sacrifices to them and, and Paul could scarcely restrain them from sacrificing to him. Well, this caused a pretty big stir, but not quite as big as what happened next in verse 19. You remember those devout women that got stirred up in Antioch and Pisidia? You remember those prominent women, those chief rulers? Well, guess what? They just went ahead and followed them. Verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. They also came down to Lystra. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, they got mad at him in Antioch and Iconium ran them out, expel them from the region. They go a few miles down, they start preaching, they heal a man, and people are going to say, you're a God, you're a God. But then here come these devout women and prominent women and chief rulers and stirred them up again down in the city of Lystra. And all of a sudden they went from you're a God to you're a devil. And they took Paul and they stoned him. He was the spokesperson. You know, kill the messenger, kill the message, I guess they thought. And so they, they, they stoned him so much so that everyone thought he was dead. 
dead and he may well have been dead. And then they drug him out of the city and presumably threw him on the trash pile outside the city. However, verse 20 says, when the disciples gathered around Paul, he rose up and went into the city. I mean, <laughs> you know, if I'd, have, if I'd have got up from a good beating like that, I mean, they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. These aren't little rocks. They tried to and thought they killed him, and they may have. He was either resurrected from the dead, we don't know, it doesn't tell us, or else he came to from having been knocked out by rocks. <laughs> Okay. He comes to. The first thing I would have done is not gone back into the city. Because okay. you know they probably got more rocks. But he went right back into the city. And the next day, I think I'd left that evening. But the next day, he departed with Barnabas just, you know, a few miles south there to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. They went back to that same city where Paul had been stoned. And then they went back to Iconium and to Antioch where those devout men and women and, and you know, prominent women and, and, you know, the chief rulers were. They went back there and they were checking up on people that had gotten saved in great danger of their lives. They've already been run out. They've already been chased down. They've already been stoned. They've already been presumably killed. And they're going back to every one of those cities, confirming the disciples. Strengthening the souls, verse 22 says, of the disciples. And encouraging, exhorting the disciples to continue in the faith and saying, we must, this was their message, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. These guys are serious about preaching the gospel, aren't they? Wow. You know, you never know. You never know what God's doing. But we always know that he's doing something. You may not know what God is doing to set you up for your greatest day. You see, God has a plan with so many intricate details that we cannot begin to understand what God is doing in us and through us and to us and with us and for us and for all those others that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Whatever situation we may be facing, whatever trouble, trial, hardship, disappointment, we never know what God is doing. Sometimes we can't see that he's doing anything and you never know what he's doing but you always know that he's doing something marvelous magnificent he's putting another piece to the puzzle of the greatest day that the church will ever have God is building his kingdom and he's using our every breath every breath we give to God is dedicated and he will not waste one dedicated breath that we offer him even though we cannot see it even though it looks like trouble He's not wasting not one moment that we give to him. When you're waiting on God or when you're in trouble or when you're in trials or when you're going through situations, hardships, disappointments, difficulties, things you don't know what to do about, just like we spoke earlier, saying yes to God even when you can't do it, even when you don't know what it is, but giving yourself as a willing sacrifice to his purpose. He makes up the rest. He's always doing something. You see, that was 48 A.D. Fast forward about 20 years, 19 or 20 years. 
About 20 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy. We have it recorded in 2 Timothy, specifically verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3 and verse 10. 20 years after this stoning, Paul writes, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This is 20 years after this first missionary journey. 19 years after by my calculations. What persecutions I endured. You have carefully followed them, he said. All the things that happened to me 20 years ago. You carefully follow. That means that you have some, some intimate, close knowledge. You have, you, have, you, you, you have watched. You have watched me and all the things I've gone through and the things that happened to me in Lystra, the stoning, for example, and in Iconium and Antioch, how, how I was persecuted and run out. And, 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 and you know that. And, and, and the persecutions I endured in that place. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Wow. You know he'll always deliver you. This is what he's saying 20 years after. <laughs> you know, it might not have looked like that to somebody that's being stoned in the moment. It may not look like in the moment when you're being run out of town. It may not look like in the moment whenever you're being persecuted, whenever you're going through all of these afflictions and, 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 uh, and long suffering. It may not, you may not know what God is doing, but you can always trust he's doing something important. The implication here is that Timothy was intimately familiar with the Apostle Paul's life and what went on with him in those places when Paul first visited the city of Iconium and Lystra. At this point, 20 years afterwards, Timothy had become the most important disciple of the Apostle Paul, the one to whom Paul was going to pass the torch if there was an anointing, a covenant, it was going to be on Timothy. Timothy was his, his greatest accomplishment, he felt. Well, in AD 48, Paul first visited Lystra. The people thought he was a god, and then they stoned him. What was it? Why was Timothy so familiar with that? Because Timothy lived there in A.D. 48. He was just a young teenager. We don't read about him. Because, you know, we, we don't, he's not a part of that storyline. But he was there. Not only was he there, but evidently he was greatly affected. Perhaps even his mother and his grandmother got born again there. Because his mother and his grandmother were Jews. 
And his dad was a Gentile. He was one of those Jewish-Gentile mixed families. He was one of those families that, that when the apostle Paul came to town and started preaching that God loves Jews and Gentiles and the gospel of Jesus Christ is first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Whenever they heard that, it had to hit something. It had to be a mark. It had to do something in his life because certainly... It impacted him in such a manner that later on, in fact, three years later, when the Apostle Paul decides in A.D. 51 that he's going to go back and check on those churches again, he decides that he needs to somehow accomplish a refreshing of those places that he once visited. Three years later, we call it his second missionary journey. Guess where the Apostle Paul goes to first? When he leaves Antioch in A.D. 51, three years later, shoo, he goes to Lystra and Derby. Iconium. We read about it in Acts 16. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But, but the, let's just go ahead and, 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 and read a little bit of Acts 16. This is three years later. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple there named Timothy. The son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You see, the apostle Paul did not know all that God was doing. But he had faith that God was doing something. In A.D. 48, while he was being stoned for preaching that God saves Gentiles and Jews, that God loves you no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, that God has sent his son on the cross of Calvary, and if you will believe in his name, he will forgive you of your sins and save your soul. They took him and they drug him out of the city. They stoned him what they believed was to death. Evidently, that being a public thing in that little town of Lystra drew a lot of public attention. And most likely a teenager wouldn't miss that moment. Especially if he was a teenager marked by God, destined to be an apostle destined to one day become the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the largest church in Christendom to that age. 
Certainly the mark of God was on him and certainly he was a part of that, those who, who, who received the word and got born again. And, and certainly during those three years between A.D. 48 and, and, and A.D. 51, having seen and having witnessed and having known, it was a public knowledge that this man who, who had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, who once was thought to be a god and then a devil, and they killed him and drug him out on a trash pile, that he was resurrected as those stood around him and prayed and and he went back into the city and he proclaimed Jesus Christ to them as though he was risen from the dead. And then he went back to the place where those who came from persecuted him and he preached to them and then he preached to them. And now three years later, he's back. Don't you know Timothy during those three years went through a whole lot, no doubt asking his mama and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, tell me about the God of the Jews. Tell me about the covenant that you have with him because his daddy was a Greek. We don't know what happened to his daddy, but we know he's not on scene and most likely mom and grandmom really wanted him to have a strong male role model don't you think that they were building up the man of God and building up the Christ that they had believed in don't you know because the apostle Paul later talks about them and says I know the faith that was in your mother I know the faith that was in your grandmother and I see that same faith in you what were they doing in those three years they were pumping that boy full of Jesus Christ and full of the word of God and full of the power of God. And when Paul came back through, what else could he do but embrace destiny and say yes and became his life disciple? You see, Paul could not have known the seeds that he was sowing, not only in the life of Timothy, but all the Timothys that we do not read about that are not included in our storyline. But he also was sowing seeds. Paul was sowing seeds for his own future. To have a man like Timothy who would commit his life to the apostle Paul and serve him in city after city and city after city. To be sent by Paul on missionary journeys to take care of the church that the apostle Paul raised up in Ephesus and there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from Ephesus Paul said to the whole known world all the world has heard the gospel from this place Timothy became a mighty man of God Paul could not have known that every stone that was being thrown at him was filled with purpose, was filled with destiny. It wasn't that God was throwing the rocks at him, but God was going to make use of everything Paul gave him. Every breath Paul dedicated to God was used by God to further the kingdom of Almighty God. This is our God. You never know what God is doing, but we always know God is doing. Whatever hardship, whatever difficulty that you're facing in life, you may not know, you cannot see what God is doing with every breath you dedicate to him. Every time you say, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to, you know, just what Paul wrote to Timothy as Paul was just perhaps even a few weeks, no more than a few months, but perhaps even a few days from having his head cut off by Nero in Rome, Paul writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3. 
He's encouraging him not to give up, not to despair. He said, you, therefore, Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier. Timothy, you must. You must not let hardship take you out of the game. You must not let disappointment or difficulty take you out of the game. Endure hardship. Be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Just to, in the next chapter down, Paul talked about himself. He said, Timothy, I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Timothy, be encouraged. Endure difficult days. It's what you do in difficult days that has the potential to impact so many others for the right reason, with the right way. Endure hardships, Timothy. I endured them, and the Lord delivered me out of them all. You see, you never know what God will do, but we always know God is doing something to further his kingdom in and through us. For this reason, God wants us to endure the temporary troubles of this life with faith. He wants us to continue being a witness for him even in our most difficult days. He wants us to make sure that we don't let trouble run us off, shut us down, or shut us up. What is our takeaway from Acts chapter 14 this evening? Well, this is what I get from Acts 14. We may not know what God is doing, but we can always assume that he's doing something important to his plan. He's got a plan. He's planned out everything. Just because I'm going through a difficult day doesn't mean God is. He's using me. He's doing something important. Always. Always. God's doing something important to his plan. Always. Another thing that I take away from Acts chapter 14 is that we must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I've got to learn that it's not always all about me, even when it affects me, even when it troubles me, even when it hurts me, even when I don't know what he's doing. I've got to realize that it's my part to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And another thing, the last thing I'll share tonight is my takeaway is that God will deliver us from evil. Just like the model prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. You know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We're not going to always have the best day. But we have the best God. And he's always got a plan.